last Sunday night, we began uh, uh, working our way through Joshua, and we're going to do it uh, looking at the faith crossings that uh, people had. And so that's what we're talking about tonight. Uh, uh, <clears throat> this call of God upon Joshua's life, as you think about it, if you know anything about his life, you understand that in one way it was a renewal of a call that God had placed on his life 40 years earlier. And I think it's good that after so many years, God can come to us and ask us to do something that we might not have been able to do for circumstances uh, the first time or maybe uh, out of our own disobedience or failure. You remember it was Moses who spent 40 years in the wilderness after failing the first time, getting a little ahead of God, killing the Egyptian and burying him in the sands of Egypt. Then he spent that 40 years in the wilderness before God finally led him to the burning bush. Last Sunday night, I, I defined a faith crossing as an obedient response to the call of God. Uh, it's moving from where you are to where God wants you to be. It is a faith crossing because you are trusting God with the uncertainty of the journey. And I outlined the following characteristics of a faith crossing, and these were true in Joshua's life, and they'll be true in yours and mine. The first step in a faith crossing is to answer the call of God. Faith crossings bring you and I face-to-face -face with our weakness, and we realize it's a journey that we can't make on our own. Those who make faith, faith crossings must know God and trust God and depend upon God for all they need to make the journey. Faith crossings are made upon the basis of God's promises, and we considered the measure of the promise that God gave to Joshua. He said, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. So how much will God be with you when he asks you to do something? He will be with you just like he was with Moses. He will be with you just like he was with Joshua. He will be with you just like he was with Paul and no less with you. He will be with you in the same way. Second, we considered the assurance of God's promise. He said, I will not fail you or forsake you. That's what he said to Joshua. And third, we considered the range of God's promise. He said, I'll be with you wherever you go, wherever you go. So tonight we return to those first verses of the book of Joshua. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9 again. Look at them again before we go forward. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise Cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving them to the sons of Israel. Now those first two verses, as we looked at last week, outline the scope of Joshua's responsibility, a responsibility he had considered 40 years earlier with a group of spies. You know, they sent out those 12 spies. And so in the uh, first chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, as Moses looks back, now they're about to cross the Jordan. He's about to turn over the whole book of Deuteronomy, by the way. Moses knows he's about to die. He knows he's about to turn the responsibility 
over to Joshua, but what he's doing is he's recounting where they've been and what, ha what has happened. And so I want to read you these verses from Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 28 through 33. This is what Moses said. This is what the people said. They said, where are we going? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we've seen the Anakim there. Then I said to you, do not be afraid of them or dread them. The Lord your God who goes before you himself will fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you've seen how the Lord your God carried you, as a man carries his own son all the way that you went uh, until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek out for you a place to pitch your tents in fire by night or in cloud by day to show you the way that you should go. They had clearly seen God's activity. Now you too have seen God's activity at moments in your past. You, you've heard God, the story of how God has worked in other people's lives You've seen that from the scripture. You've also heard the testimony of people. Even tonight, some of you raised your hand and, and said there have been some, some, bad, some bad things in your life, some trials in your life that, that God worked for good. God turned those around. And yet, there are moments in our life when God speaks to us, when he renews some call upon our life that he gave us at some time in the past and he said you know that thing I wanted you to do all those years ago that thing that you didn't do I'm ready for you to do it again would you walk with me in that way again would you take this step of faith that I'm asking you to take so one of the things that we understand tonight uh, I'm going to give you a list of things to consider and the first one is <clears throat> a faith crossing uh, requires seeing possibilities rather than seeing problems. It requires seeing possibilities rather than seeing problems. If all you can see are the problems and not the possibilities, you'll never make a faith crossing. Instead, you will be frozen in a state of perpetual disobedience where you will live in outside the will of God. You'll miss God's purpose. You'll miss God's promises. But Joshua was a man from the very beginning who saw possibilities. Only Joshua and Caleb saw possibilities. Uh, down through the years, <clears throat> I have known men who at one time in their life clearly heard the call of God. They clearly heard God speaking to them, and they knew that God wanted them to do something. I think of one man in particular in my church in Hamilton. I was his pastor for 20 years, and he told me on more than one occasion early in my life, God called me to be a missionary, and he never did. He was interested in missions. He was interested in the Bible. Uh, he was interested in mission endeavors, but he could never make that step to answer the call of God. He, he never did, and he lived in, content, in, in perpetual regret that he had not done what God called him to do. Now, Joshua didn't close the door 40 years earlier. It was it was closed by the disobedience of others. But as God was calling him to take that step of faith, you understand, as we said last week, Joshua's going to take that same group of people. He's going to take the children of those folks who had all those negative emotions and negative responses about doing the will of God, and he's going to be their leader. 
So there's a, there's a bit of a challenge to it. Now the day will come when God will give you an assignment. You'll, you'll have a sense of call. That assignment from your perspective will be impossible and it will be without the, with, without the help of God. You have to remember that the mission is not yours, it's God's. The battle is not yours, it's God's. Your assignment is merely to take steps of faith. So let's pick up in verse 3 and read through verse 9. The Lord said, Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given you, just as I spoke to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites and the great sea, as far as the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand against you all the days of your life, just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. The next two verses I'm going to read to you, I was sent this morning uh, from <clears throat> David Horton, who we ran into at the Mississippi Baptist Convention. David is a pastor who was a member of my church in Hamilton, and I have not seen him since I left, but we ran into him at the convention, and this morning he sent me a text with these verses in it. He had no idea, no clue, and I said, look, this is what I'm sharing tonight. So sometimes the Lord confirms the journey, and he confirmed that we're, I was on the right journey anyway. You may not have that confirmation yet, but look at verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God's plan, God's plans, God's activity, wherever it has been throughout the course of Scripture or history, has always required his people to make faith crossings. Now, these people had made one when they went with Moses across the Red Sea when God parted the waters of the Red Sea. And now, after all these years, the Lord comes to, to Joshua and he said, the time has come for you to cross this Jordan. There will be a time in your life when there's a Jordan of your own that God wants you to cross, a step of faith or steps of faith that you'll have to take. Every step of faith has required the people of God uh, to, to go forward trusting God, and it's had a unique nature about it. And at different moments in your life, it'll be the same for you and at different moments in the history of the church. Now, I'm going to go back, and we're going to look at this passage of Scripture, and I'm going to give you, I think, five points about the Scripture we just looked at, and we'll, look at, we'll do it quickly. Number one, a faith crossing is a call to put the past behind us. That's what they needed to do. It's crossing over. It's moving forward to our God-appointed destiny. It's entering a new phase of our relationship with God. Remember what happened in the past. In the past, they crossed the Red Sea. 
that was a success. But they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they failed to be obedient. That was failure. And they had to leave past successes behind as well as past failure. That's true in the church. I've learned down through the years in the church that the church, any local church, can be hindered by things that were failures in the past. We tried that once and it didn't work. Well, you never try it again because of that. Or you can be hindered by some great success in the past. Oh, this is the way we did it in the past, and so we have to do it that way again. They were not to be limited by the ruts of past leaders or to revisit the burning bushes of old leaders. They were to blaze new trails and seize new opportunities. God's people are always called to forward advance. Number two. A faith crossing demands complete commitment. It is an obedient response, as we've already said, to the call of God upon your life. It's moving from where you are to where God wants you to be. There's a faith crossing for individuals. There's also a time when a church makes a faith crossing because what we're talking about here is not simply what God called Joshua to do. It was what God called the collective people of God to do. The greatest danger in the life of the church is what I called collective contentment. Collective contentment. The forward momentum of the church stops. The church camps, parks, stops short of God's plan and purpose. I call it collective contentment, but it happens person by person, class by class, and leader by leader. We drift into that state that Amos called at ease in Zion. You know as well as I do that when contentment in a church becomes a collective contentment, it can very well become a generational contentment. In other words, it's a contentment that we pass on down to our children. We're satisfied with the number of people that we've got come. While we have a lot, we had 138 in Sunday school this morning and 153 in worship. Uh, why do we need any more people than that? In 1991, you had 300 plus coming to Sunday school and had a miracle day where you had a plan to have 504. But now we've grown collectively content to the status quo. We may never go back and revisit the past when you had that many, but certainly God doesn't want us to be content with past failures or live in the shadow of some past success. God has some steps of faith that he wants us to take. We can't say, well, those people back there didn't do it, nor can we. We can if we follow God because as God was with Moses, he will be with us. He will not fail us or forsake us. He will be with us wherever we go. Those are the promises that he makes us. Number three, faith crossings require courageous faith. You know, Paul had to stir that up one time in the life of Timothy. He said, Timothy, I've got to remind you now. He said, you're just a young man, but the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of power, of power, of love, and of a sound mind. We have to make good decisions, but we have to follow God and go forward. We can't stay where we are. We can't stand still and go with God. There are faith crossings for people to make at every step along the way. The only hindrance to their reception of the fuller life that God wanted to give them 
would be their failure to go forward. It's often true in our lives as well. We miss some of our greatest experiences because we're afraid to make the journey. Now, <clears throat> before I get to number four, now let me just go ahead and get to number four, and I'll skip the scripture because I've already read it, but the scripture in, in, of importance is verse eight, and that is, number four, is the map that guides a faith crossing is the word of God, is the word of God. If you want to know which way to go, look in the book. God will tell you. If you want to know when to go, look in the book. God will tell you. Do you know one of the good ways to read the Bible? You need to read it every day. That's one of the things you need to do. But you don't just need to read it every day for information. You need to read it every day in an anticipation of God guiding your life. You need to read the Bible every day and, and understand that God's going to say something to you. He may comfort you through his word. You may be in the middle of a problem, and he may speak to that problem in his word. He may rebuke you in his word because you may have a sin in your life. He may call you in his word. I was called to preach while reading my Bible as a, as a teenager. God clearly called me to preach, and I knew it. I wasn't comfortable with it. It scared the daylights out of me and still does. But I knew that God called me. He called me from his word. It's the road map for, the, for a faith crossing. Joshua was to practice continual meditation on the word of God. That's what he said. You, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. If he gave attention to the word of God, he would, well, Henry Blackaby said, if I follow Jesus one day at a time, I'll always be in the center of his will. That's basically what God was telling Joshua. If you'll follow my word and be obedient to my word, you'll always be right where I want you to be. And one of the things that you can be sure of, if you are where I want you to be, I will be there with you, and I'll take care of everything that needs to happen. Number five, faith crossings are personal. They're personal. You'll notice in the scripture that when God gets ready for the congregation to make a faith crossing, he speaks to one person and he says, now you arise and you cross this Jordan. It's you, Joshua. I'm calling you to make the step and people will follow you. Faith crossings are personal, but they have an impact on the entire people of God down through the years and we've talked about this before a couple of weeks ago when we talked about being a catalyst for revival I've discovered that the great work that God wants to do often has its beginning in the life of one person when I was at Agricola <clears throat> and uh, you can't you really can't there's no way to know exactly how God is about to to do his work but in March of 1985, Bob Churchwell, some of you know Bob. He has a garage down in Agricola. Bob was just a young man then. Bob Churchwell got saved in March of 1985. Easter Sunday of 1985, Bob's dad, Robert Earl Churchwell, came down the aisle. I was preaching, and he said, the more you preach, the matter I got. And he said, you preaching a salvation sermon here on Easter Sunday morning and you need to be talking about Easter. I, 
I didn't know why he was mad. And then he said, I realized. This is what he said. The best boy I've got is Bob. And if Bob's not saved, I'm not saved either. He was a deacon in our church. And Robert Earl Churchwell got saved, and Steve Churchwell got saved, and Tammy Churchwell got saved, and Ricky Churchwell got, you know that Churchwell family, you know about all of them. They all made decisions. And between March and May, 62 people, and I was preaching through the book of Psalms, by the way, not a very interesting book, nothing special. I've got the book in my office, a little... Uh, then I put them in handwritten. Uh, I'm just telling you, it was when Bob, of all people, nothing special about Bob, but when Bob moved, it, like, it was like it broke the dam. The ice was broken, and people began to respond because Bob made a faith crossing. You've experienced that before, maybe in in other churches or in the history of your own church, when one person said, God, there's something I've got to get right with you, that's a step of faith you've got to take. You don't know why God wants you to make it. Maybe it's not even that big of a deal. I thought Chad came down and kneeled last Sunday morning, and then for whatever reason, he told me he was going to come and he was going to pray for some things. We had two people come this Sunday, so that was a good thing, and I'm, I'm glad you did, and it touched my heart that you did. But it's going to be movement like that. When you, in obedience to God, respond to God to do whatever it is God wants you to do, it will have an impact on somebody else. Faith crossings are moments of crisis in which everything that happens in the future of your life and in the future of your church depends on your obedient response to God's call. Let's pray.